0: This hour of 630 Ched Heart Pledge Day is brought to you by Crosstown Auto Center. To donate, please call 780-407-2200 or visit 630ched.com. Now, Ryan Jesperson on 630 Ched.
1: This hour presented by our friends at Crosstown Auto Center. And something tells me that Crosstown's support of this broadcast might have something to do with Tony Certita, who's going to join me in just a second. He works there, but he's also been a patient here at the Mazenkowski Alberta Heart Institute. I'm taking a look at our text line to 6.30, 6.30 this morning. Trevor says, I love what you're doing this morning. I think it's vitally important. I lost a good buddy years ago waiting for a heart transplant. He says, if you could please remind people to fill out their donor cards. He says, you can't have these operations without donors. Please remind people. Trevor, you're absolutely right. A day like this is a great reminder to have that conversation with your family. Have that conversation with your loved ones. We're hearing of the importance of heart transplants, of lungs made available for transplant as well. We just heard Karen's story just a short time ago. What a powerful story that was. Just received a text out of Red Deer a short time ago. This is incredibly meaningful. Listener says, Ryan, I just wanted to let you know my sister got the call late last night and was rushed up from Calgary. As you sit there at the Mazenkowski she is receiving a new heart within the very walls you are in right now. Wow, absolutely incredible. Thank you for sharing that with us. I just got chills. That's reiterating the importance of doing what we're doing. A new friend of mine has just sat down to join us, Tony Certita. How are you? We uh, we pulled you away from uh, the phones. We pulled you away from the phones. You've been answering the phones for the That's last right. little while. Yeah. Uh, here as as part of uh, Crosstown Auto Centers support. Mm-hmm. But Tony, this has got to be a very personal exercise
2: for you. Is, Yes, indeed. Because um, I've uh, had the opportunity, <laughs> if you might want to say that, to use the facilities here. Um, I am uh, 62 years old now, but. I've had uh, three heart attacks and one quadruple bypass. And that's all within the last 17 years. And each time um, I was taken here to the Mazenkowski uh, Heart Center. And uh, staff is wonderful, equipment's wonderful. You know, uh, the heart attacks used to be fatal. Right now, they can fix you up and get you going again.
1: Tony, you don't hear from many people who say I've had three heart
2: attacks. (laughs) Yes,
1: you're. uh, I mean, if I can just make an observation here, because we're doing radio, not television, right now. You're you're a healthy looking guy. You're a fit looking guy.
2: Yes, that's uh, that is actually. uh, I, I take care of my weight. I watch what I eat. Uh, and yet, my first heart I don't smoke and I don't drink, so um, my first heart attack was when I was 45 years old. Uh, I
1: Did it, it just totally blindside you?
2: It blindsided me, because I'm healthy. I played basketball twice a week at that time. Now I can't anymore, obviously. But, uh, you know, you never, you never know when this is going to come. doesn't matter how old or how young you are. Your sex doesn't matter. Whether you get uh, you know male female doesn't matter. It blindsides you. That's exactly uh, what it is.
1: So your first heart attack at 45. At 45. And then what? What 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 happened after
2: that? Uh, and then uh, they fixed me up. Uh, they did angioplasty. And obviously, I went through the period of recuperation, mm-hmm. getting myself back. Can because, you bring
1: Can you bring us up to speed? I have a vague understanding of what that is. Angioplasty. Don't they? They put like a tube they, through an artery and then they yeah, blow it up. I'll
2: blow it up to clear the the arteries, push uh, all the plaque to the side of the artery, right? To get the blood flowing again. I had, I think, ninety nine percent blockage to one artery at the wow. time, which caused the heart attack. But anyway, they did that, and. Uh, Eighteen months later, yeah, 18 a year and a half later, I got my second heart attack. Same thing. I think it was uh, job-related stress. Uh, you know, when you go through uh, a stressful period, um, your, your chemicals and the body reacts, you know, and, and messes up your uh, your balance. Um, so that things like this can happen unexpectedly. And I, 18 months after the first one, I got the second one. And then they did the same thing, angioplasty, and then uh, it took another 10 years before uh my third heart attack what
1: was that time like in between tony after your second heart attack your second angioplasty obviously yeah. like you said you know you, you you'd lived a healthy lifestyle this wasn't the type of battle that you expected to find yourself fighting did were you living on pins and needles wondering when the next one might happen
2: yes um the first year i would say after the second one i was really really scared Um, I was very careful about everything, you know, that I do and so on and so forth, but because the rehab program that they have here, uh, they got me back up to uh, physically and, uh, you know, spiritually, Um, because, you know, that depresses you one after the other within 18 months. It just messes up your psyche, Um, so the rehab helped, um, and then... uh, um the physical activities that they had me going for the three months after uh... got me back and uh... from that point on i just started watching what i ate and uh... And uh, lead a healthy lifestyle
1: because there's only so much you can do. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And I mean, and, and once you're sitting there controlling everything you can control, like yeah. you said, diet and exercise and lifestyle.
2: Absolutely. And, you yeah. know, I mean, and then
1: the rest of it
2: is out of your hands. Exactly. So uh, I'm only I'm I'm very thankful for for the facilities here because um, you know um, if I were. I'm, I'm originally from the Philippines if I were in the Philippines I the first heart attack would have would have uh, you know caused me to pass mm. uh, but here uh, they have everything here that's why the support and um, you know fundraisers like this uh, are very critical um, to the province it's Everyone stories, comes into
3: here, right? It's
1: stories like yours that are reminding us this, that, yeah. th- that this is impacting people from all walks of life. And yeah. I mean, in your case, people that, that started their life on the other side of the world. And and, and I and I suppose, yeah. I mean, it, it sounds kind of strange when you're talking about a guy that's had to go through three heart attacks to call him lucky, <laughs> but lucky enough to be able to have the Mazenkowski here.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. It's
1: 630 Chet Heart Pledge Day. The website is heartpledgeday.ca. The number to call seven eight zero four zero seven twenty two hundred. K, thank you for that $100 donation. And and Norma W, thank you for your $100 donation. And, And Sylvia stepping up with the $200 donation. Page W, thank you for that $50 contribution. And Al G, thank you for donating $25. All of these donations are going to further the good work here at the Mazenkowski Alberta Heart Institute. Tony, I'm so glad you you brought up the concept of spiritual rehabilitation, mm-hmm. of, of, of the mental and spiritual side of this journey, because we spend so much time today talking about the equipment here and the training of the doctors, but there's a whole other Side of healthcare.
2: Absolutely, because uh, it's not enough that you get uh, physically rehabilitated. It's uh, your your whole mindset, and uh, you can only do so much, like you said earlier, with the physical and all that. In the end, um, you know, it's it's your belief system, as well, that that uh, will, ab- will be able to get you through uh, all these difficulties. Right? I know
1: you're a family man.
2: Yes, I am. I what have was a daughter, the, uh, and two grandchildren.
1: What was the experience like uh, for your family here, as as they were uh, obviously on pins and needles, waiting to see how the outcome uh, of your ultimate quadruple bypass would be?
2: Yeah, I think the 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 first heart attack was a shocker to everyone. Uh, like I said, forty five years old, healthy lifestyle, you know diet twice a a year just to get my my um, you know weight down to where I wanted to be and then I get the heart attack it was an eye-opener for a lot of people my friends my family as well um, because it can happen to everyone like I said and then the second one came and then the third people say you know you've uh, used up four lives of your nine lives (laughs) (laughs) You must be a cat uh, but, yeah, I, I consider myself lucky, and uh, the support uh, mechanism around my family is just wonderful.
1: And it was back in December of 2012 that you experienced the, uh, that third uh, heart attack. The third heart attack. And, and, then, and that, that one was a bit of a game changer for you.
2: Exactly. So uh, I didn't expect, you know, just like the first one, I guess. Uh, it just came. It just came. I was healthy. Right.
1: What was what was that day like, Tony? Do you mind telling me about it?
2: Um, I uh, that was December 27, I think, when when that happened. I worked uh, all day. I came home, and I couldn't sleep because I felt uh, I I thought I had uh, indigestion, like heartburn. I uh, tried to sleep it off, but I couldn't sleep. There was just this, you feel something is wrong, but I couldn't, you know, pinpoint what it was. And then I tried, you know, um, going to the bathroom or washroom. And then I knew it clicked. I said, this is a heart attack. So I called my uh, my wife and said, uh, take me to the hospital.
1: You didn't call an ambulance.
2: No, uh, the doctor yelled at me. Yeah. The staff yelled I at feel me. like
1: I should yell at you, too.
2: They said, you know, you could have died on the way here. Yeah. And I was slumped on the floor. And oh Tony. my God! It was uh, it was scary. I thought I was I, honestly this last one. I thought I was gone.
1: And obviously, I mean, the doctors took a different approach to it. That was what prompted your quadruple bypass, which yeah. is it. To, I mean, to say at yeah. least a major surgery. They,
2: they, uh, um, they did angioplasty on me, but while I was there, obviously, they did x-rays and, you know, all these things, and they found uh, four more arteries, or three more arteries that were blocked from 88% to 92 or 93%, so they, they just decided to fix it now, otherwise you're going to be back here again.
1: What's the recovery like from a quadruple bypass? That was uh, we're coming up on. That was what three and a half years ago. Yes,
2: it was. uh, I was supposed to be um, uh, out of. uh, I mean, in rehab for uh, six months, and it was. uh, It was painful. It was difficult because they cut you open. So I had um, my chest cut open, and then to replace my arteries, they took um, about. 8 inches or 9 inches from my leg and to replace the you know the ones that weren't working anymore or weren't good anymore so i had cuts on my uh, leg that took forever to heal because i had diabetes as well so the healing process is not as uh, good as when you are healthy right so and then the pain i can remember the pain the wa- first week when i came home even sneezing was uh, was very painful. coughing was painful and walking around but you know um, um, they, they helped help me our, our health system is just so awesome. They arranged for nurses to come and visit me every day, uh, change my dressing and all that. Uh, three months I, I was able to go back to work after three months. Hmm.
1: You know, we spend so much time and, and, and it's it's what reporters and journalists and, mm-hmm. and, and, and the media has to do, focusing on shortcomings. Yeah. And focusing on where you know, institutions like healthcare are falling short, are failing to serve the public. And I think it's so incredibly important to have the counterbalance of of a morning like today where someone like you is coming on the air and saying, the doctors and nurses and my experience has been incredible.
2: They do a wonderful job here. They do an awesome, awesome job from the people who are mopping the floor to the people who look after you. Uh, you know uh, during the operation and post operation you' and then the rehab facilities and everything is just it's just amazing top shelf that's all I can say i you know i, I know firsthand from firsthand experience uh, that this is probably the best facilities that uh, we have we have access to
1: there's a big huge sign behind you uh mm-hmm. celebrating the fact that crosstown auto center is uh, oh, yeah. sponsoring this hour of 6:30 6 30 hart pledge day you're proudly wearing uh, a dodge mm-hmm. coat i know you're a <laughs> proud employee of crosstown yes, auto center why does it mean so much to you to have their backing on a day like this
2: well uh, just our commitment to the community right uh of uh, In our dealership, we've had at least three of our employees, including myself. Another gentleman is Bob Janice and there was a manager who was a good friend of mine uh, who uh, passed away from from heart condition, uh, George Lemoyne, a year ago, I think it was. And um, it it means, uh, it it has a special meaning because our employees benefit from uh, what facilities are available here so and and cross down as traditionally uh been very generous uh, to the community uh, especially uh, like these right uh, undertakings like this
1: i know that there's a bunch of you down here that, that have been answering yeah. the phones today yeah. have have you been letting callers know have you been letting donors know that you have this personal connection
2: well no not it's enough that we're here to, to uh, serve the community and to lend our time and uh, you know efforts for this.
1: Tony, uh, what would you say to somebody that's sitting on the fence right now that's thinking about making a donation but they're not quite sure?
2: Um, we need your help, right? Um, you never know um, who this disease uh, will, um, will attack, and you, you don't know who it will benefit. So, you know, extra 20 bucks that you have, or 100 bucks, it doesn't matter. Uh, just donate because uh, one of those days someone you love might, might need the help. Tony
1: Certita, representing yeah. the Crosstown Auto Center. And, Thank you. And I'll call you a proud graduate of the Mazenkowski <laughs> Alberta Heart Institute. How's yes.
2: that? All right, good. That's, that's wonderful. Thank Tony, you.
1: it's a pleasure to talk to you. All Thanks right. very much. If you'd like to answer, the challenge that Tony just put in front of you, you can call right now, 780-407-2200. He's actually uh, making his way right now back to the phone, so you never know. It, it may be Tony Certita that picks up your call when you dial 407-2200. If you're calling from outside Edmonton, the number is 1-866-407-2211. You can dial that toll-free, uh, the website heartpledgeday.ca. You can also link to it from 630 Ched. Dot com. We'll be back with more live from Front Reception here at the Mazenkowski Alberta Heart Institute. Kelsey Wingarick's been doing some digging, some interesting facts. We'll learn a little bit more about this place that everybody affectionately calls the Maz
0: right after this. Live from the Mazenkowski Alberta Heart Institute, you're listening to 630 Ched Heart Pledge Day, proudly presented by Durabilt Windows and Doors. To donate, please call 780-407-2200 or visit 630ched.com.
1: Thanks for tuning in on this very special broadcast here on 630 Ched, an annual tradition Heart Pledge Day, live from the Mazenkowski Heart Institute. Kelsey Wingarrick, the producer of this show, you've been hanging out here and, and uh, not necessarily behind the scenes because you've been mixing and mingling with uh, not just guests that are waiting to appear here on the radio broadcast, but there's also patients and supporters and staff. This is uh, an incredible morning to be a part of.
4: Yeah, it's phenomenal. You never know what the day is going to be like, how emotional it's going to be. Um when you have patients in here. My day started in a really interesting way where it just kind of hit me in the face. I was lost in the parkade trying to figure out how to get to the Mazinkowski, and I bumped into this guy who looked like maybe he was 22, and uh, he's, I was like, is it okay if I follow you out of here? And, and he said, oh, you're not from here? And I'm like, no, I've lived here. I've just never been to the Maz. And he said, you're really lucky. I feel like I live here. He's He looked 22, 23, and he said he spends almost as much time here as he does at home. Wow. Um, he's going through rehab right now. So you just... Right away, I came in with this kind of, it was almost a wonderful sinking feeling to appreciate that I, I am one of the few that doesn't have to frequent uh, any form of a hospital. And you realize how many people this place serves.
1: Yeah, I mean, I keep making the same observation because it keeps happening. There's this free flow of people that are walking past our 630 Shed broadcast desk this morning, and some of them are smiling and some of them are not. And you don't know what, that, what each one of these individuals mornings looks like Uh, you don't know why they're here you can guess i I was just telling you just a short time ago, we were reading that text message from a listener in Red Deer that says, my sister got a call last night. They rushed her up from Calgary. She's receiving a new heart this morning right now here at the Mazenkowski I mean, it, it, the importance of this place is reiterating itself
4: again and
1: again and again.
4: And I do wonder how many people are sitting in this building right now. I mean, you spoke with Karen Hamilton who had the double lung transplant and she said she was given like three minutes notice. Your lungs, you you. You've, your weight is over. You have lungs, and she didn't know if it was going to take. And then it's got to happen th- fast. Right? Yes, yes.
1: I mean, and then the ball is rolling, and you're on the table, and. And then your whole life changes.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I just I...
1: had a, a piece of paper. Uh, I don't mean to cut you off, but someone just put this in my hand. Another $1,000 donation. This is incredible. Chad listeners are stepping up today. This donation from Mid-City Construction Management Group. Uh, there, there's a line on the on the donor sheet that says, what led you to donate today? And I don't know what the story is here, but they're donating in honor of Marion Stonichi. And that's, it's just a name there on the list, but a thousand dollar donation from Mid-City Construction, so thank you for that.
4: When you see those kind of numbers, it's just, it's absolutely heartwarming that people are willing to step up, and we talk a lot about the economic times, and on days like this, it just doesn't seem to matter.
1: Well, people are donating $10, $20, it means just as much. Donate what you can. That's the only ask. HeartPledgeDay.ca 780-407-2200 We have a guest to prepare for. Yes. We'll be back in just a second uh there are i wish i could show this to you all right now people are hugging people are walking up to the donation table uh there's a guy right now pulling his card out of his wallet to make a donation looks like on the fly looks like a spontaneous decision i don't know his name i'll find it out that's another hundred dollar donation right there look at that incredible his hat says farm boy a good alberta boy making good on a commitment to the Mazenkowski. there you have it here are the headlines
0: from the Mazenkowski Alberta Heart Institute, this is 630 Chad Heart Pledge Day. Proudly presented by Durabilt Windows and Doors. Call now, 780-407-2200 or visit 630ched.com.
1: Thank you to Grant and Marlon and John and the Versteeg family and Cindy Kay and Marion and Jed. And Blake, more names that have gone up on the Roseno Transport heart wall, these red paper hearts that are recognizing the donations that are being made via 780-407-2200 or heartpledgeday.ca. Of course, it is 630 Ched Heart Pledge Day and a very special guest just sitting down at the table right now, still wearing, what do you call that, doctor? Is that just a, a doctor's coat? It, we call them lab coats. The lab yeah. coat. But the lab coat means something, doesn't it? When you When you see an individual walking through a hallway like this in the lab coat, everyone goes, it's one of the doctors. That's the
3: assumption. That's correct,
1: yeah. Dr. Darren Freed, it's wonderful to see you. Did you always want to be a heart surgeon?
3: I did, actually. When I was uh, when I was 12 years old, I read a story about baby Faye, who is the, one of the neonates that was transplanted with a baboon's heart at uh, Loma Linda University in California. And when I read that story, when I was 12 years old, I know it sounds corny, but when I read that story, I was like, I want to do that. That doesn't That's sound what corny at do. all. That sounds incredible. So it's been kind of uh, full stream, you know, full steam ahead to get to the to this point. So.
1: You're, you're the pride of Killam, Alberta.
3: There we go. Yeah. Uh,
1: did, did you attend the University of Alberta?
3: I attended medical school here at the University of Alberta and then did my cardiac surgery training in uh, Winnipeg, as well as did a PhD in physiology in Winnipeg, uh, and then came back here about two and a half years ago.
1: I was just reading about you, as a matter of fact, and, and uh, your colleague, is it Dr. Jayan Negrendon, Is that? Jayan Negendron. Yep. Uh And the two of you, and I was telling our listeners last hour, uh, both of you have been working on uh, developing a procedure to make uh, more organs available for transplantation. Why don't we start there? What's that all about and why is that so important?
3: Sure. So what we're working on is basically a paradigm shift in how organs are managed for transplantation. So the the traditional approach is that we assess functional in the donor prior to retrieval and once organs are thought to be suitable for transplants in other words the function is good enough then we take them out flush them with a preservation solution and put them in an ice box and bring them to the recipient um, in that interval because the organs aren't being perfused and they're cold in effect they're dying so the tissue itself is dying because it's not being perfused and oxygenated etc not being provided with the nutrients it needs to, to survive so There's a very limited time span that you can have the organs outside the body. So that's one aspect, is minimizing the cold ischemic time is what we call it, the cold time outside the body, uh, through the application of warm, normothermic, we call it, perfusion of the organs. So they're basically getting perfused with a blood-based solution that keeps them alive, keeps the tissue functioning well, um, and allows us to minimize any injury that's happening between donor and recipient. So that's one aspect. The second aspect is actually then using that platform to assess the function of the organ outside the body so for example if we have a, a set of organs whether it's a heart lung liver kidneys etc uh, that seem to be not functioning well inside the donor we can actually take them out put them on the machine assess their function treat them give them whatever they need reevaluate their function and then transplant them at that point so there's those two aspects at a minimum are what we can actually do to increase the number and quality of organs that are available for transplantation.
1: And this is research that's being done right here in Edmonton. That's correct. But obviously, uh, if successful, the findings or the methodology that's developed would be applicable far beyond the province of Alberta.
3: Absolutely. This has global implications. So you could, given the fact that the, the organs are continuously perfused at warm, normal body temperature, you could actually retrieve a heart, for example, in Hawaii, and transplanted in Nova Scotia or retrieve an organ in Europe and transplant it in Vancouver uh, because that time outside the body is greatly extended through the application of this technology. We had an opportunity to talk to Karen Hamilton
1: uh, last hour. Was Karen a patient of yours? She had a double lung transplant She was here. actually. She uh, was, your yeah. face just lit up. Do, yeah. do you, do, do you, yeah. you must remember specific I patients. I remember,
3: I do, I do. And that's, um, Karen's story is an absolutely amazing story and she's turned into uh, such an amazing, amazing ambassador for this whole field of transplantation. Um, I think she's paying back, you know, in heaps and mounds more than uh, than what we provided her with in terms of her transplant. We were asking her in, in,
1: in layperson's terms to describe for us her understanding of this ex vivo lung perfusion device. And and I think you were just describing essentially the same thing from, from it, a, a medical perspective.
3: Exactly, yeah. and,
1: and she was saying, it, as far as she understood it, the lungs that she has right now, the lungs, and this blows my mind, doctor, the lungs that she's breathing with as we speak, were not appropriate. For transplantation four hours before they went into what they call around here the lungs in a box.
3: That's absolutely correct. Those lungs would not, if it weren't for this technology, those lungs would not have been used for her transplant. It's not to say that she wouldn't have ultimately got a transplant from another donor, but she would not have received those particular lungs. Um, so that's just one really close to home example of how it changes lives. So technology. for a
1: transplant surgeon like yourself, and as I understand it, you, you work with both lungs and the heart. That's correct. Uh, can you comment on, on whether or or not there's a shortage of available organs? I mean, I know people right now, I just heard from a listener by the name of Gerald who says, if you have a second, please swing by and visit my friend. He's at the Mazenkowski right now waiting on a heart. I mean, how significant of an issue is this?
3: It's a it's a huge issue. There's uh, transplantation is the gold standard treatment for patients with end-stage organ failure, whether it's hearts, lungs, livers, or kidneys. Um, and the only reason why we can't transplant more individuals is because of a limited number of donor organs. The unfortunate statistics are that we only use about one in five hearts or lungs that are offered to us. Really? Because for a variety of reasons, but one of the most common reasons why we don't use the other four out of five is because of poor function that we see in the donor. So it's thought to be unsuitable for transplant. It doesn't have good enough function in that donor that we can't therefore transplant it. So that's what I was alluding to with the other aspect of this technology. It actually allows us to say, you know, we're going to take every single organ we get offered, we're going to assess it on the machine, treat it, interview do whatever we need to do, get it functioning better, and then transplant it, or perhaps not. Ideally, we would like to transplant every single organ we get offered, as long as there's a suitable recipient. Um, but that's how we're, we're hoping and expecting that we're going to make a significant dent in uh, transplantation numbers and save more lives, improve uh, folks' quality of life.
1: They... B- Provided me with some background information here leading up to this conversation with you, and and there's a a number, there's a uh, a statistic that really jumps off the page, and that is the speculation or the expectation is that if this ex vivo lung perfusion was performed just 15 times a year, let's say for the case of conversation, if it's performed once a month or so, uh, it's estimated that death on the lung transplant wait list could be reduced by as much as 50%.
3: That's correct. That's correct. We're talking
1: about life and death for people
3: that's absolutely right just because you get listed for transplantation doesn't mean you're going to survive to a transplantation Um, and that's particularly difficult in lungs where we don't have a good uh, mechanical solution so with hearts we have mechanical heart pumps that we can put into people that will pump the blood for them we call it a ventricular assist device Um, and that can be used as a bridge to get a heart a heart transplant there's no equivalent with lungs So we don't really have a good way to bridge people who are dying needing a lung transplant to actually get to a lung transplant. Can I ask you a bit of an abstract question? Sure. Is it ever the 12-year-old you that's walking through these hallways? Oh, almost always, I think most would say. Um, I love what I do, and uh, it's a joy to be able to come here and and, work on these problems that's what really drives me is addressing these problems and sorting them out um, my you know my family will attest to that that I'm almost always working and it's not really working that's not the way I see it uh, it's doing what I'm passionate about and um, Obviously, professionalism is, is key, and that 12-year-old has to maintain a high degree of professionalism. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's definitely this is all driven by my own curiosity, the scientific curiosity about how we could actually treat organs better to get more life-saving uh, transplants done.
1: Well, doctor, I mean, it's not lost on me that your work and your research could ultimately save my life someday or the life of somebody that I love. So thank you. Uh, I want to say this with my eyeballs burning lasers into yours. Thank you for the work you do.
3: And and thank you for
1: talking to us today. Somebody right now is is teetering uh, on the fence trying to decide whether or not they're going to make a sizable donation. I I just know it.
3: What's your message to that person? Everything that we've done is on the basis of somebody donating money. All the advances that have been made, the technological uh, advances that we made, the technology that's being developed, the studies that are being done, uh, whether it's basic science, laboratory-based research, or clinical research, applying this technology to patients uh, is done with the support of donors. On some level, somebody had to donate money, uh, and therefore the work couldn't happen if it weren't for donors providing uh, the funds that are required to move it forward. Are you
1: back in the OR today?
3: I am. Dr. There now. Darren
1: Freed, i got to let you go then.
3: All right. We'll Thank talk. you very much.
1: When we come back, we'll talk to Dr. Freed's colleague, Dr. Gurmeet uh, Singh, uh, an intensivist and cardiac surgeon here at the Mazdankowski Alberta Heart Institute, as 630 Chet Heart Pledge Day continues. The number to call is 780-407-2200.
0: Live from the Mazenkowski Alberta Heart Institute, you're listening to 630 Ched Heart Pledge Day. Proudly presented by Durabilt Windows and Doors. To donate, please call 780-407-2200 or visit 630ched.com.
1: Thank you to Rita and Rhonda and Kabir and Bill and Beth Charles all of these names going up on the red paper hearts that are making up the rapidly expanding Roseno Transport heart wall here uh, along the hallway at the Mazenkowski Alberta Heart Institute as the donations continue to roll in from 630 Chad listeners on this heart pledge day heartpledgeday.ca is where you can learn more the number to call 780-407-2200 Dr. Gurmeet Singh it's so good to see you
5: Thank you for having me on.
1: I I get to uh, dismiss one uh, impressive surgeon and and welcome another, and uh, I'm always put back on my heels when I can barely pronounce what someone does for a living. What does an intensivist
5: do? First of all, thanks for that introduction. Did my mother uh, already call in? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Um, So... An intensivist is a subspecialist in critical care medicine. So all of these uh, individuals look after the sickest of the sick, the critically ill. And uh, people go into critical care medicine after establishing another base specialty. So in my case it was cardiac surgery and then I did critical care medicine after that. So is it
1: fair to suggest that sometimes you're meeting patients or you're working with patients on what might be uh, the worst day or the worst week of their life?
5: Uh, that's entirely accurate actually. And. You know, one of the things about critical care medicine is you do meet them at the uh, lowest point, potentially, of their uh, trajectory, and then to try to turn that around with them and their families and to try to see them through the completion uh, of their course in the ICU, uh, it, it, it goes through various different phases after that as well.
1: So you work in, they call it, and I, and I keep hearing people refer to the CV ICU. that's the Cardiovascular Intensive Care Unit, correct? That's right. So is this where someone's arriving, I mean, from the STARS Air Ambulance or from ambulatory care right into the ICU? Is this when you're seeing people?
5: We see uh, patients come from a variety of sources. Our primary uh, uh, admissions come from the cardiac surgery operating room. So we look after patients after all kinds of heart surgery, uh, complex cases, routine cases, heart transplants, lung transplants, artificial hearts, uh, complex cases for a heart disease, Uh, that people are born with what we call congenital heart disease and these patients have had surgery before usually and then they're in their adult years they need potentially more procedures but we also equally uh, look after patients with the severest forms of what we call cardiogenic shock or heart failure uh, that's not amenable to support with any other kinds of medications so we have machines and devices that we can use and we also do a lot of uh, support for uh, refractory lung failure people who are so sick that they cannot be supported with a mechanical ventilator even and so we use uh, you know bedside heart lung machine assistance for that Wow
1: you're a cardiac surgeon as well of course is th- is there anything I mean I mean yeah. you just said you didn't use the word run-of-the-mill I think you said standard or sort of more regular heart procedure is there such a thing or are there unique challenges presented in every individual case
5: no that's a very good point Ryan you know every uh, every case is unique, and every case has its own risks. Um, when we when we talk about uh, an uneventful course, that's still not without risk for the patient. That's true. What's the most
1: rewarding part of your job?
5: It's always uh, it's always gratifying to see uh, patients turn around and to be able to engage with them and their families and watch them recover. But equally, uh, I think important to that part of it, I think, is the amazing uh, team environment that we have in our ICU, uh, and it's cr- across multiple disciplines, so multiple medical specialists, but also uh, nursing and all the allied healthcare, you know, pharmacy, physio, respiratory therapists, and, you know, these are not mentioned in any particular order, but the. The actual amalgamation of that team, and the um, the efforts and the professionalism, and the personal interest that every one of those people put into uh, supporting these patients, um, and watching the team come together when things are, you know, at looking the bleakest, is uh, it's very gratifying.
1: I've I've never really been able to quite uh, relate to or understand how people like you. Operate, and and there's no pun intended there, but but people who have to have such a personal connection to a patient. I mean, in some cases, you would quite literally have somebody's heart in your hand. You have such a personal connection to people, yet at the same time, uh, a realistic element of your job involves losing some of your patients, Uh, saying goodbye to those who you've developed a connection with. How do you achieve the balance that you need to have doing the job that you do?
5: Well, it's an important question you raise, Uh, you know, end of life care, and that's what it is. It's a different form of care at the end of your life, is a very important part of critical care medicine. And so it's something that we do invest effort and energy into and trying to draw those connections with the patient and establishing what their values are and and helping the families. But from an individual perspective of caregivers, um, we rely on our teams and we rely on our experiences and we rely on our relationships um, as caregivers to try to help each other uh, and help the families through these difficult times.
1: I've been so incredibly proud of our friends that tune in to 630 Chet every day for stepping up this morning in a big way. How has donor support, like what we're seeing this morning, impacted what you do here?
5: It It's no uh, trite statement to say that the Mazinkowski uh, and the standard of care that we are proud to offer uh, could not exist without the generosity of the community. One of the defining features of being a Canadian is our universal access healthcare system. And the community recognizes that that means that we all have to contribute. We contribute in the form of our taxes, we contribute in the form of donations, we contribute in the form of helping people physically. All of those things drive the healthcare system. When you look at world-class institutions, with international reputations. Every single one of these institutions is dependent upon philanthropy uh, to try to generate uh, the kind of standards that they want to achieve, and we're no different. And it's because of that community's generosity that I can say unequivocally, You and I've worked in a number of different sites um, and some very famous places, that the standard of care that's provided in this institution and in our CVICU is absolutely second to none, and it is a place that we are all incredibly proud to be part of.
1: Dr. Gurmeet Singh, they're letting me know I've got to let you go because you've got a busy afternoon ahead of you, but thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you so much. It's an absolute
5: pleasure. Thank you so much to you and to Chet and all the donors.
1: Again, heartpledgeday.ca, the number to call 780-407-2200. We'll be back to wrap this hour right after this quick break. Friends, more paper hearts have just gone up on the Rosano Transport heart wall in front of us. More donations from 630 Ched listeners. I'm proud to call you Ched Nation. I'm proud to call you friends and family. Thank you for stepping up in support this morning of the Mazenkowski Alberta Heart Institute. 630 Ched Heart Pledge Day will continue on. Oilers now. We'll introduce more hockey talk, but the phone lines will remain open to 780-407-2200. Of course, heartpledgeday.ca and 630ched.com. Resources for more information. Jalen Nye and Andrew Gross, I know, looking forward to being here at the Mazenkowski Heart Institute this morning. Thank you for your donations. Thank you for considering a donation. And thank you for sharing in these meaningful stories today. We'll be back at it tomorrow morning, right out of the gates. An exclusive sit-down with Premier Rachel Notley right after the 9. 9 o'clock news we'll talk to you then